0: You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Going back through the Chicago Bears' loss to the Baltimore Ravens on tape helped make it a little bit more clear where this Bears offense struggled and couldn't put up enough points and how this Bears defense really blew it at the end to help the Ravens Come back in and ultimately win this game. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Bears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook. Join the Locked On Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. And make sure that you're subscribed to the Locked on Bears YouTube channel to keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. On the show today, we're going back through Bears versus Ravens, particularly looking at the play calling from Matt Nagy and Bill Lazor here with Justin Fields through the first half and kind of find out where they were struggling to score points on those drives and then what was a little bit different for Andy Dalton at first and maybe a little bit toward the end there to help that offense finally get some points on the board. Then we'll go through that last drive by the Baltimore Ravens, how the Bears defense squandered so many yards and made the touchdown look a little bit too easy and why it Kind of felt like there was one Bears secondary player in particular who was at fault over and over again on that last drive, but certainly not all his fault throughout this game. And then we look more specifically at coaching, the little things that you can kind of point more directly to the coaching staff above anything else as to, again, holding the team back, not necessarily being the sole reason they lost, but another piece on top of this mounting evidence as to why Matt Nagy's tenure in Chicago is not destined to last too much longer. But I want to start with the offense because I was really curious about the play calling in particular, just kind of going back through the tape. And I will say, you know, NFL Game Pass, the NFL's official source of tape, you pay a subscription fee to watch, to re-watch the games, they're supposed to have coaches film available, they say, within 24 hours from the game being over, that is Never been the case all season. The product has gone downhill. And so we're still mostly working off of broadcast with a couple of back-channel All-22 sources I have here and there, but wasn't able to kind of go through all of it through the All-22. Certainly, I was able to get some pieces here and there, but a couple of plays, not as easy. And so when I'm looking at the offensive play calls, it's usually pretty easy to get a sense of what the route concept was, and certainly the running plays are a little bit easier to see. But occasionally, some stuff is happening off the screen. So that's sort of my disclaimer to say, I'm not always going to be perfect on identifying what every play is just off of the broadcast, but like going through the drives, it was four drives in the first half plus one in the second half before Justin Fields got hurt. And a, I think I kind of found where I think Fields started to get hurt and or at least where the injury started becoming more and more of a factor on that first drive in the second half, but kind of going through, I was curious, you know, when Dalton came in the game, they scored so quickly and then they scored at the end. I was, I was wanting to see, how things compared with Fields to Dalton. And I certainly think, you know, with Bill Lazor as the play caller, as far as we know still, there was good variety uh, on some of these, you know, on on a lot of these drives, especially to start. You know, the opening play was, uh, it looked like read option, but it was more designed for the quarterback to keep it. It's called an arc read where you kind of have the tight end peel out in front and leave the first blocker to be optioned but you're really kind of setting that play up for a quarterback to keep it and running play goes well then you know they go to a a quick passing stick concept then they hand it off to david montgomery on what's called split zone it's an inside zone play with a tight end running to the backside. very common running play that you're going to see throughout the bears offense you're going to hear me say that a good seven or eight times here going through all the different plays. Split zone running games working well. They get the play action going. They put they run a post wheel. Justin Fields hits the wheel, I believe, down the sideline for a first down. And then then you go into the, the Wildcat with David Montgomery at the quarterback spot, which can be gimmicky, but has kind of worked in, in certain situations here and there. Okay. Then the Bears run the toss to the left with Jeremy Grant, the wide receiver, in the backfield. That one again works fairly well I mean they're able to get the running game going every time they went to it more or less you know to start the game there and kind of throughout that first half then they go to a curls concept and Justin Fields throws it away because there's pressure in the pocket a really actually a smart throwaway where he kind of jumps and chucks it into the stands to play where nothing was open and the the blitz was starting to get home there he had some time but just not not anything get open it was that was one of those plays that Tony Romo pointed out in the broadcast as being kind of a a smart Justin Fields play to throw it away there. And then you get to third and five just outside or in or around the red zone there and they run the shotgun toss to David Montgomery. I mean, I, I I hate that play call anywhere on the field and when it works, you don't criticize it. And I get that. And so I'm trying not to be too critical and too picky of that, but I, I, it goes nowhere and there was they didn't have numbers on that play you know they, they moved Montgomery to that side and the defense all shifted so there was a bunch of defenders on that right side and really no one to the left side and I just it was from the moment he snapped the ball there was no room for David Montgomery to run the ball and so like that whole drive had good variety right they were running the ball maybe maybe not as much as you might like but it was it was still working. Justin Fields hit a, some a nice play downfield on the post or on the wheel route on the post wheel that was open. He was running the ball well. the running game was going He hit a couple of uh, quick throws there, but then I just, I hate the third and five draw and then the field goal kicker misses and that's not Matt Nagy's fault. That's not anybody's fault, but the kicker, although you can, you could argue that maybe Nagy threw off his rhythm by having him attempt the 65 yarder at the end of the Steelers game the week before, but regardless, you know, you go on to the next play and you get the next drive, you get read option, you get play-action flood where there's a miscommunication with Mooney, and then there's a, a miscommunication on the, the third down throw there. It's kind of a double curl with an in across the middle, and it was behind Goodwin, but it was outside leverage against the cornerback, and Fields kind of threw it to the outside, but Goodwin wouldn't go outside, and you wonder, is that Fields reading it wrong? Is that a receiver and a quarterback not on the same page? And there were a few of that, too, like where there was, you know, I think on the fourth drive, he, he threw it just a little bit outside for darnell mooney and he wasn't able to bring it in and just you don't know is that the quarterback being inaccurate or is that the quarterback reading the right spot and putting it where he thinks it needs to go and the wide receiver not agreeing with him for whatever reason and who's right and who's wrong we we don't know for sure but it's it you can kind of see what field's idea was there and you can also kind of see what the wide receiver's idea was there and we might not we might not ever know but i just think we got some good variety from these play calls it wasn't just the same curl flats and I give Bill Lazor and to some extent Matt Nagy credit for being able to execute that but those drives they always just seemed to stall you know there was it was the third and five toss and the field goal miss on the first drive then it was um, miscommunication between Goodwin and Fields on the third down and the second drive then on the third drive it's the strip sack where Jason Peters got beat in like two seconds I mean Fields tried to step up but I mean, he was, Fields was beat to the inside. Fields did not take an extra deep drop. That was bad offensive line on that third down play. And of course, blame Fields 100% for fumbling, right? He, if he takes the sack, I blame the offensive line just for the sack, right? The off, it's the offensive line's fault that the, the third down play was unsuccessful. It's Fields' fault that he fumbled it. He needs a better ball secured in the pocket. I'm f- perfectly fine blaming Fields on that one. Fourth drive, the last drive of the first half, they get some running game going. The couple of... A couple of passes are off there. They get a sack on third down that's bailed out by defensive holding, but the offense had seven blockers, and the defense blitzed five, and they had a delayed blitzer come free to Justin Fields. We're in week 11, and the offensive line can't pick up these blitzes properly, even with extra blockers, and I put some of that blame on Sam Mustafa, the center, just not being able to do consistently a good enough job there. On that one, they were bailed out by the defensive holding, so the drive stays alive, but then Darnell Mooney drops it on third down fields had missed him on the previous pass but then on third down Mooney's kind of going across the middle of the field and it's a little bit low but he goes down a scoop and it's not at the ground and Mooney still can't hold on to it it's Mooney drop incomplete bears have to punt there It was it was third down and just you know they're unable to kind of finish those drives for little things you know fields was was inaccurate on some of them but not exactly on the third downs per se but it was miscommunications blitz pickups pass protection and then some some fields inaccuracies as well but it certainly is not all on fields and I don't know that it was all on play calling because I do blame play calling kind of on that that shotgun toss to the right the field goal miss isn't anybody's fault so it's like it's all these different sort of combination of things even on the last play of the first drive of the the second half the last drive for Justin Fields false start on the first play then they run the ball in the split zone they they run a kind of a, a weird quarterback draw thing and Fields is sacked they get a third and long Fields throws a really nice pass to Mooney on a flood concept to convert the third and long. And that's the thing that sticks out to me is like, yes, some of those drives stalled in part because of Fields, in part because of other players making mistakes, but Fields had some really nice throws in there. The post wheel on the first drive, was, he, I think he put in the right spot on an incompletion on the second drive on a flood play-action concept to Mooney across the middle of the field. He had a nice hit on a, a crossing route on the middle of the field on a max protect. I think it was it was either Mooney or, or Cole Komet over the middle of the field for like 10, 12 yards. He's hitting these more difficult downfield throws, and then it seems like things are just falling apart in some of these critical situations. And then the last play he was on the field for, third and 11, he scrambles up the middle. He has David Montgomery as a potential check down. He probably should have thrown it there. Matt Nagy made the good point that, you know, if he pumps fakes and the linebacker bites on it, he probably scrambles for the first down and it's instincts and playmaking and you know you trust the ball in your own hands as a quarterback who's made a lot of those plays before. I'm not going to kill him too much on that one, but there's some there's some blame to be had there on fields. I don't think it's totally Fields' fault that they couldn't score points on any of those drives, but, uh, you know, I, I there, there was some blame on fields, but there was enough positive there, I think, that really – I don't know if they completely made up for it, but it definitely gave you enough reason to not like totally feel like it's all field fault. It's just this combination of some fields, some pass protection and blitz up, some wide receiver drops, some weird play calling, a missed field goal in there, and just wide receivers and quarterbacks not being on the same page. And it makes it kind of a, a complicated fix for this Bears offense, I think it's a little bit more simple on the Bears defense where they played better for most of the game but definitely choked on that last drive. We'll go through some of those plays for the Ravens. What went wrong that allowed this Bears defense to kind of collapse and the Ravens to come down and score at the end of the game? Next on Locked On Bears. The Baltimore Ravens moved the ball way too easily on that last drive against the Chicago Bears defense. And, unfortunately, it felt like a lot of the blame ended on the shoulders of Kendall Vildor. And, you know, I feel bad because he's a young cornerback, and he's shown some signs of improvement over, you know, his, what, 10 starts now this season. But, boy, back-to-back-to-back kind of bad plays for him on that drive that let the Ravens drive down and score. And now, of course, when there are 11 guys out on defense... You could argue, well, the pass rush could have been better, could have sacked him here, could have made a play there, could have stopped the run there, right? It's not, like, solely Kendall Vildor's fault that the Chicago Bears lost. But when you go through that last drive, right, right away, there's the defensive pass interference where Kendall Vildor's got the guy covered, right? Deion Bush is over the top. He drops it in what would have been an easy interception that was would have been negated by the, the penalty anyway, but, like... He's covered and he still like grabs onto, I believe it was Sammy Watkins, I think, was the wide receiver on that play. And it gives him a free 20 yards or whatever downfield on the pass interference. And it's like just like, dude, like he he's already covered. Like you have a safety helping you. There's no separation. Why why are you even getting up on him so early? I mean, you can wait for the ball to get there. I mean, that's just I mean, it's a tough play, and it can be everything's moving fast, and he's a speedy wide receiver, and it's a key situation. Like, I'm trying to trying to give Vildor either benefit of the doubt or sympathy. I don't know what it is, but, man, it's a really bad pass interference penalty to take in that key situation of the game. Then right after, you have the, the, the open wheel route down the sideline where I think it's Duvernay. It's a post-wheel concept where the outside receiver runs a post, slot receiver runs a wheel kind of behind it. And I can't tell without the l twenty two whether the Bears are in a cover three cloud to the, to the field side away from the route or if it's cover six. But either way, it's a route concept that is supposed to be good against that coverage. And so I'm not going to kill Vildor without the All-22 to see how much space he really gave up there. Because when you're the outside cornerback, that post route breaking to the inside is what you're supposed to kind of follow first, but you want a smart veteran cornerback to pass to follow it at first, pass that off, and then get back to the outside in anticipation potentially of that wheel route to kind of have your eyes, you know, not only looking at the quarterback, but seeing the full field in front of you and seeing that player sort of in your peripheral vision, that Ravens jersey working to the outside while you're going to the inside of covering that post receiver. And Vildor's not there. In this the second year of his career, and I'm trying to give him again benefit of the doubt there. So like, it was a tough concept for him to cover, but it was also his responsibility to get over there and cover it. And so I give the offense some credit. It was a good concept, a good read, a good throw, but also attacking Kendall Vildor and just not not great coverage by any means. Then then next play is Tyler Huntley kind of under some pressure and scrambling up the middle goes down after two yards It's a good stop by the defense, but you know, after a, a 20 yard pass interference and a 20 yard completion or whatever to, to Duvernay on the post wheel, all of a sudden the, the Ravens are already basically in the red zone at that point. So, you're already kind of in a bad spot, but at least there's an opportunity here for, or I think they were just outside the red zone, but there's an opportunity for the defense to at least hold them, try and hold them to the field goal. I mean, you have enough of a lead that a field goal, they're going to need more than a field goal. You're up four. So right. The red zone is not a killer spot to be in and a good stop on the scramble. Then Huntley on the next play, I think checks down to a running back. You know, he's under some pressure and just has to dump it off to Freeman. Houston Carson's in coverage, steps up, misses the tackle. Behind the line of scrimmage, then chases him down and makes a tackle for a gain of six. So, you know, potential for a stop there, but blame Houston Carson for missing the tackle. But six yards isn't devastating, but it's not not good coverage as a result. Next play is the offensive holding. Backs the Ravens up to third and 12 outside of the red zone. Good spot for the defense to be in. But Ravens come out, three receivers right, one left. They take the outside receiver, they motion him in to form that bunch formation, all three wide receivers on that side, in kind of a tight alignment all close together. But it wasn't as though the Ravens did like a no huddle, right? It wasn't like quick to the line of scrimmage, don't let the defense figure out what they want to do. They came lined up, then they motioned the receiver in. And for whatever reason, Kendall Vildor was trying to communicate with Tashawn Gibson and the slot cornerback on there's three receivers over there. There's three of us in coverage. Who are we all going to cover Cover when they're all bunched. It's man coverage. And so what you don't want to do is get picked off, right? I mean, you don't want them to cross and end up having two guys run into each other. So typically what you do in that situation, and Matt Nagy talked about it in his press conference, like they have rules. And most often what the rules will be is you'll say, okay, if there's three wide receivers and three defenders, who's ever on the outside will take whatever wide receiver goes outside in man coverage. So we're not deciding pre-snap. I've got this guy. You've got that guy. We'll say, no, 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 no. Whoever comes outside, I'm going to take him in man coverage. Whoever goes inside, then our most inside player is going to take the inside guy. And then the third player is going to take the third guy, right? So then no one's running into each other. Everyone's got sort of a designated area that they're going to take the man coverage for. But for whatever reason, Kendall Vildor and Tashawn Gibson aren't able to communicate that properly off of the motion. And Vildor and Gibson cover the same player who's running a shallow crossing route. And it's third and 12, and that shallow crossing route is about two yards past the line of scrimmage. So even if no one covered him, he's only going to catch it about two yards past the line of scrimmage, and then there's going to be other defenders covering other players that can step up and try and make the tackle. But instead, two players cover him, and nobody covers the wide receiver running the vertical on the outside, the route that actually threatens you the most in a third and 12 situation. And Kendall Wilder was the most outside cornerback, and typically whichever cornerback or defensive back in general is on the outside is then also going to be the player who covers the most outside wide receiver. And so that's where Vildor gets the blame on a play like that, that I mean, you have to know where your biggest threats are and Sammy Watkins running a vertical route is your threat. And he thought to Gibson was supposed to take it, but you're going to make your safety cover the outside vertical route. I mean, that's that's the cornerback's spot. It just didn't, it, the communication there doesn't make sense to me on how it's not Kendall Vildor's fault. And Nagy even kind of said, yeah, it kind of looks like Kendall, but they have rules there. And maybe their rules are supposed to be different, where Vildor is supposed to follow that, but it doesn't seem common that way. And so it, it puts them down inside the five-yard line, then they hand it off up the middle for the rushing touchdown. And on that rushing touchdown, it's frustrating to me that Roquan Smith is completely out of position on the rushing play. And like, yes, the Ravens have the ball at the five yard line and they're probably going to score there no matter what. And so like, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to blame the loss on Roquan Smith. I'm not going to say Roquan Smith had a bad game. He had 16 and tackles or whatever. Like he, he still was a very good player for this Bears defense, but he makes a lot of mistakes in run defense. I mean, he really does. And he shot the wrong gap. The, the Ravens ran counter to the left. He attacked off the defensive left side, the offensive right side. He went to the backside, but the Ravens pulled blockers from the backside to the front side to create that extra gap where Roquan Smith was supposed to be. And so, like, it's frustrating when we treat Roquan Smith like he's this all-pro Hall of Fame linebacker right now, and he still makes a lot of those mistakes in run defense. It's not just the game-winning touchdown play for the Ravens, but we see that a lot, you know, throughout the rest of the game where he'll just shoot the wrong gaps in running plays. Great job being athletic and making tackles. Very valuable, important part of this defense great he's a good linebacker but i mean if, if we want to hold him to the standard of like brian urlacher lance briggs all pro dominant linebacker then be just do your job on the most important play of the game that scores the game winning touchdown on for the ravens i mean that's that's what that's that's where i'm stuck at like i'm if we're just gonna say Smith smith's a good linebacker then yeah good linebackers make mistakes all the time totally fair all pro elite linebackers that are you know the this pantheon that Roquan Smith is in all pro elite linebackers don't miss that play in that moment in that type of situation in the game right that's that's where I want to hold Roquan Smith accountable if we're going to level that level of price on him then let's let's hold him to that standard when he does make some of those mistakes because otherwise you know he had a he had a strong game he made a bunch of tackles although some of those tackles were already positive plays for the for the offense and tackles are not a perfect measurement of linebacker performance sometimes it's cleaning up Mistakes from other players, but he had good tackles for a loss, good plays in coverage, hundred percent run defense is still a work in progress for Roquan Smith, and that's that's okay, that's totally okay. It's just I think it's it's an important thing to point out if we're gonna just keep all the praise on Roquan Smith, let's make sure we're hold, let's make sure we're actually he's actually earning that praise and not making mistakes on the most critical game winning touchdown plays of the game. Regardless, that's how the Bears gave up the touchdown drive. And so much of that is on Kindle Vildor. And I feel bad for Kindle Vildor being kind of constantly beat up on in that spot. And he's put in such a difficult spot in this stage of his career. But, that's, a, that's on Ryan Pace then too for trusting Kindle Wilder there for the Bears not having great other options and he has played better in some of these games and, and one drive at the end of the Ravens game is not a referendum on his career necessarily but it was a struggle and it was an advantage that the Ravens found and I don't blame Kindle Wilder solely for the loss although it's hard not to blame him solely for that potential game winning touchdown drive at the end there but like we talked about on yesterday's podcast your defense holds another team to 16 points. That should be good enough to win most games. And your offense scoring 13 is definitely the, I think, the bigger sin in the bigger picture, even if that last touchdown drive is definitely uglier than a lot of the rest of the game felt like. But it just kind of added the list of Bears mistakes throughout this game and things that I definitely kind of start to attribute a little bit more toward coaching staff problems. We'll we'll look at just like the little things that keep going wrong that we saw a lot of in this game that you kind of point back to Matt Nagy and this coaching staff next on Locked On Bears. This episode of Locked On Bears is brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag, the number one place we trust and the number one place we recommend for all of your sports betting needs. Looking ahead to our Thanksgiving game Bears at Lions. Bears are favored by three and a half, despite now Andy Dalton expected to make his start, return to the starting lineup against the Lions, who may also be without Jared Goff. But I'll tell you what, if you want to make your Thanksgiving football watching that much more exciting, Bet Online is the place to do it. They've got not only pro football and college football, but NBA, college basketball season underway, plus NHL, boxing, UFC, and so much more. Even Online Vegas casino games. Great way for you to take advantage of all their amazing offers, not only for this Thanksgiving weekend, but the rest of the 2021 season. Sign up today for a free account and enter our promo code LOCKEDON, and you're going to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, giving you free money to play with and win at betonline.ag. They are stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. We heard the Fire Nagy chants rain down in the Bears-Ravens game. I had seen where the Fire Nagy chants came down at the United Center during a Bulls game as well, and then the, the chants came down during a high school football game where Matt Nagy's son was playing, and that that's, that's where I'm going to draw the line. I mean, let Matt Nagy's son have his moment in high school and not be chanting out firing his dad while he's trying to play Illinois high school playoffs, or I don't even know what the where they are exactly in their season. But I mean, come on, let's 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 leave Matt Nagy's son alone. He's a kid. He's, you know, 17, 18, 16. I don't know how old he is. He's a teenager. He's a teenager. Let's not let's not drag this his kids into his dad's mess. It was the same thing with like Mark Tresman and his daughters. And some people would be like tweeting them and it was a weird it's a weird thing, right? Like let, let the leave the dude's family alone. It's it's the football head coach. It's not more it doesn't have to be more serious than that. But regardless, right, I the, there's this animosity is growing toward Matt Nagy. And I think the Ravens game not only is the loss itself frustrating, but it's some of the things within the loss that you just you just don't see good, well-coached football teams make some of the same mistakes. It's just like the little things that, like, it's not the difference between the wins and the losses, but it's it's enough where you just you you kind of you just point the coaching staff like it, This is like you have not, not that you have one job, but like there are certain aspects of the game. That is purely on the coaching staff. Like, for example, clock management and, and timeouts. And I want to get into those here as we get into the segment. That it's like when, when they take a bad timeout or they burn a timeout or whatever, like there's no one to blame besides the coaching staff, specifically the head coach. But then, you know, the head coach is also supposed to have people on the sideline in the booth that are, that are helping him with clock management situations. Or if he doesn't, he, he certainly is allowed to. Some teams do. And it, there's no salary cap on coach salaries to have as vibrant of a staff as you want. I mean, I'm sure there's rules, but it's not It's not like there's a financial reason. So, like, it's, it's little things like that. Or, like, first play of the second half, right out of the locker room. You've had the whole halftime to figure out what you want to do. The Bears have a false start. You can't get the snap count right on the first play of the second half. There was another play later in the in the game is we'll get into the timeouts more specifically but out of the second timeout, they had a false start out of a timeout you don't see really good well coached teams have false starts out of timeouts they have false starts every team makes mistakes every team has penalties no team is so perfectly disciplined that they never mess up in that way and that's totally you know th- that's that's a reality but it just seems like with the Bears and with Matt Nagy and with other poorly coached teams throughout recent history, you have those signs of poor discipline or just poor, I don't know, it's it's like attention to detail. And and so much of that like is a reflection of how the coaching staff drills some of those things to make sure that every player makes sure that they're on the same page, right? It's not like it's one player who keeps false starting because he's just a an idiot, or he's lazy, or he's sloppy, or whatever. Right? I mean, like it's spread across a bunch of different players on offense. It's not just the same guys having the same penalties over and over again. And that's it's such one of those like frustrating things that again the Bears didn't lose because of their false starts, but it's a sign of like the messages not getting home or just players not not being totally locked in and dialed in. And that it seems like you know the Bill Belichick's of the world have their players so much more disciplined and more dialed in, generally speaking. But, like, you go through the timeouts in this game. The Bears go, get into fourth and one. The punt team comes out. The Bears call a timeout. Then you see, well, Matt Nagy's headset went out. And, and yes, that's not Matt Nagy's fault that his headset stopped working, and presumably. I mean, electronics on the sideline just stop working sometimes in NFL games. It happens to even even the good, well-coached teams. But then, you know, after the timeout, they come out in the offense back on the field to go for it, and Matt Nagy kind of said afterward that you know, well, we we took that time out so we could discuss it and decide and figure out that we wanted to go for it. But the previous play was third and one, and first of all, regardless of what the play call is on third and one, if you're in third and one at midfield, you need to know whether you're going to go for it on fourth down. You you have to be thinking a play or two ahead. I mean, that's just what. NFL play callers and coaches do even Matt Nagy has talked about that before about trying to you know you're, you're thinking a player to a head as the play caller on what you want to do regardless of if this play is successful we're going to do this and if this play is not successful we're going to do this and so how are they not already certain before they even snap the ball on third and one what they're going to do if that play works and if that play doesn't work right that's just like coaching one-on-one high school coaches, high school football coaches get to third and one and already know, okay, am I going to punt or am I going to go for it if we don't get this third and one? I mean, that's just like day one stuff. And for the bears to have to call a timeout to communicate that, to change their mind is, I mean, it's inexcusable. And this, but then on top of that, that your third one play is a deep shot, which, you know, they took a, a vertical shot downfield that falls incomplete. It was in the fourth quarter with Dalton. I don't remember specifically, which one? If that was the one that Mooney couldn't keep two feet in balance, regardless, it, it, they took a shot on third and one. Typically, you take a vertical shot on third and one when you know you're going to go for it on fourth and one because you see you're in four down territory. So we can we can say, you know what? If we if we don't get this one, we'll have another shot to get one yard. So we might as well take the shot there. But to take the shot and then not be ready, even without the headset, they still sent the punt team. Right on the field, like he's standing next to Chris Tabor, the special teams coordinator. He's got his offensive coordinator in the booth. They should have been talking about it ahead of time that we're going to go for it in a fourth and one. And maybe you call the timeout because you can't get the play call in or whatever, but Nagy's not the play caller. But at the very least, you send your offense out there. Dalton even said after the game, like the punt team was going out, and so that's what we were going to do, right? They, they were clearly planning to punt the ball there and then change their mind after the timeout. I mean, it's just the, it's the, those kind of frustrating things. And then the play call itself, fourth and one. You go to David Montgomery in the Wildcat offense. Matt Nagy said that was the play they practiced for short down situations, and so it wasn't like it was some spur of the moment trick play decision. But that's the play you chose to practice on fourth and one. Get Andy Dalton under center and run a gosh dang QB sneak. I was, about to, I was about to get more vulgar, but just run a QB sneak fourth and one. Right when you put Dave Montgomery at the quarterback spot in a shotgun, when you snap the ball to him, he's five yards behind the line of scrimmage. You know, he has to run six yards to get the first down on fourth and one, right? Or if you go under center and say, hand it off to him, and he's taking the handoff two yards behind the line of scrimmage. He has to run three yards for a first down, right? I mean, it's just, I get that there's, there's four tight ends on the field. So, he, you know, you're supposed to have extra blockers in there, and maybe he should have bounced outside. But Tony, Tony Romo stopped the replay early. If you watch the broadcast, he's trying to say Montgomery should have bounced outside. You rewatch that play tight ends getting beat to the outside Montgomery bounced it inside I mean there was he was he had nowhere to go on that play but if you have Montgomery in the Wildcat there's no threat of pass the whole defense knows you're going to run the ball you're telling them what your play call is before you call the play and you're putting David Montgomery farther away from the first down marker I mean it's just it's like it's simple stuff right don't make it harder than it has to be and it just feels like with some of those play calls the third and five toss and the Wildcat on fourth and one you're making it more difficult on yourself. Like football, this is my, my favorite saying, and I've, I've grown to appreciate it more and more as I've you know, called play-by-play for football games and, and spent a lot of time with football coaches, right? Football is a simple game made complicated by coaches. Put it in the eye formation, hand it off to the fullback, get him as close to the line of scrimmage, or run the sneak. You just need one yard. You don't need a touchdown. You don't need 10 yards. You need one yard. Just get the one yard. It's a simple game made complicated by coaches. And Matt Nagy makes that so clear on those types of plays. It's just so frustrating. But the other timeouts, I mean, real quickly, it was fourth and six. Incomplete pass on third and six. Clock stops. Simple situation. Bears are going to go for it. Big fourth down. They get the offense lined up. They kind of late. They call timeout because the play clock's running out. The, the, the clock had stopped. You had the normal operation time of 40 seconds. Wasn't anything running extra or, or you know, there wasn't any kind of delays of any other reason. They just couldn't get the play call in and get lined up on time. And I get it. Like, it's a key situation. You want to call the timeout to get it right. But, again, team, it doesn't seem like teams like Bill Belichick, you know, I keep going back to Belichick because he's kind of the golden standard, but well-coached teams don't seem to have to do that as much as it feels like the Bears do. And then after that timeout, on fourth and six. Jason Peters, false start, fourth and 11. I mean, again, good teams don't false start out of timeouts. It just, it just doesn't happen. Then the third timeout, Bears score the go-ahead touchdown. They come out with the PAT team, the extra point kick. Call timeout, go for two. Coaches know if we score the touchdown here before they score. Are we going for one or are we going for two? You always see the coaches hold up. They hold up the two fingers, right? Immediately after the touchdown. The camera cuts the coach, and he's holding up one finger or two. They know right away, based on the game situation, high school coaches know right away, based on the game situation, you're going for one, you're going for two. Bears come out with the PAT. They realize, oh, crap, we should go for two. Timeout. Redo it. And then they take the roughing the passer penalty to go from the two-yard line to the one-yard line instead of taking it on the, ex- on the kickoff. And it, it's it's all those things, right? Individually. None of those led to the Bears losing the game. Collectively, I don't know if any of those mistake, if those timeouts were the reason the Bears lost, probably not. The wild card, the wildcat play on fourth and one, is that why the Bears lost the game? Probably not. None of these things directly lost the game for the Bears. But it all feels like things that point that the coaching staff and only the coaching staff, that they just can't get right. And it's just, it's the little things that's like teams win and lose in the margins sometimes. It's like, that's where the Bears are having a direct disadvantage as a result of their coaching staff. And it's frustrating. And it's why Bears fans are chanting fire Nagy and why ready for the Bears to change out their coaching staff, change out their general manager and kind of restart with Justin Fields as the future. That's where we're finding our optimism moving forward here throughout the rest of the season. We we probably won't get to see Fields, it sounds like, on Thursday against the Lions, but we will get to see him at some point later this season and keep kind of watching that development grow and some of the other younger players on both sides of the ball. There's a lot to keep in mind. We talked about it on the podcast during the bye week why there's still plenty to watch for the rest of the season. So if you start to lose that hope or lose that optimism for this Bears team or just kind of wonder like, ah oh man, do I care about the rest of the season? Go back and listen to that because that's why you should care about the rest of this season. That's why you should keep tuning into Lockdown Bears for all of your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. We are free and available on all platforms, so make sure you hit that subscribe button, however you're listening. Or if you're watching on the YouTube channel especially, it's the best way to keep up with everything we are putting out your way. With the thanks, game it's kind of a condensed game prep schedule for us i don't know if we'll have a direct thanksgiving day podcast i mean we we like the holiday too so it'll be a little bit of a shorter week as well for us but hey we'll make sure you're ready for thursday's game we will break down thursday's game afterward and most importantly we'll make sure you're ready to bear down